0: It is hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me.
1: Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material from all of our adapted film discussions. Purchasing through our links support the show at no extra cost to you.
0: In Season 12, the focus was big franchises and series. We covered both Paddington films, adapted from the beloved children's book character created by Michael Bond. Oh, I love those films so much. Hugh Grant is perfect.
1: For our Pitch Perfect series, the first film was adapted from Mickey Rapkin's nonfiction book about collegiate a cappella competitions.
0: It's like a short story of my life, literally. I lived college a cappella. Sing it, brother. I lived college a cappella. <laughs> it didn't
1: mean literally. <laughs>
0: You know who you're talking to, right? The Twilight Saga dominated the season with five films adapted from Stephanie Meyer's vampire romance novels, Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, and the two Breaking Dawn parts.
1: Dominated with awkward romance and nonsense logic is more like it.
0: (laughs) That too.
1: Another Thin Man brought us back to Dashiell Hammett's only Thin Man sequel based on other Hammett material, The Farewell Murder, that wasn't just based on the characters from the first
0: film. We talked about Train Spotting and its sequel, T2 Train Spotting, adapted from Irvine Welsh's novels. Ugh, I hate the sequel's name. I do too. And the entire Lord of the Rings
1: trilogy, adapted from J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy series
0: love these extended editions all the way maybe plus all the mission impossible films based on the 1960s tv series
1: and we've still got at least one more to go
0: members got to hear us chat about the hustler and the color of money adapted from walter tevis's books
1: get all of these books and more at our originals page thenextreelcom slash originals
0: start your next read from the movies we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The Empire Strikes Back is over. How rude.
2: Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. The continuing story of our band of heroes. Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca. And introducing Lando Calrissian. It's an epic of romance. Of heroes and villains. They cross trackless voids to unknown worlds. Odyssey against oppression. A big new sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next.
0: Now, I have a real problem with this movie. A real problem. And it's actually not with this movie. It's with the last movie. We talked about Star Wars, and it's going to come into play when our, when it comes to our Letterbox ranking. But I'm going to give you a teaser right now. This is my favorite of the three in the original series. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people say that. I think they do, too. But the problem, Andy, is how do i recognize that in the star slash heart rating on letterboxd
1: well if you were only ranking five movies you could probably just give them (laughs) you could rank them according to the number of stars i think it's okay to have a such a fine gradient within a five-star rating that it's like still a five-star it's like you know star wars is a five-star it might be a little slightly less but it's still five-star
0: I'm just going to noodle on that while we talk. Yeah, you, you make the a, hard decision
1: if yeah. one five star of one movie means that the the one you don't like quite as much has to now be a four.
0: And would it possibly mean that I have to also make a four threes decision with the two that are not five? I
1: think it's going to I think you have to remove everything from your letterbox except for five and films. And those are the only five films that you have yet. ranked. Yeah. And then I once do. you watch another movie, you take one off the list and you redo yep. those five. No, you figured it out. I'm gonna yeah. do that right now. Yeah. yeah you should. It's <laughs> it's the only obvious solution
0: for you, Pete. Welcome to the Empire Strikes Back. I'm pretty excited <laughs> to talk about this movie, although there are some just bonkers things going on in this movie that I can't you it's again, you can't watch too close. Don't watch too close. And it starts out the gate. You wanna do you wanna talk about um how you how you feel about Empire Strikes Back and where it fits into the Star Wars original trilogy? I, I love this
1: film, and it's uh, my favorite.
0: Oh, you and I agree. So yes. this must be We're a five-star Star Wars is. Agreement. Star
1: Wars, now. therefore. If there's one thing you should have learned about me right now, I'm very generous with stars, until I'm not. <laughs> but, yeah. I can and then have, you're so... stingy. I really get so stingy. many five stars, it's either a five or a one. <laughs> or a half. <laughs> no, um, well, before we really get into it, we'll just say this film was rated PG upon its original release back in 1980. I guess and in 97. It's not ever changed its rating.
0: <laughs> I hope you leave that giant break in in, in the show. <laughs> so, Pete... Here we
1: are, Andy. Yes. Where were you when you first was this the same theater, the same um incredibly memorable theater that you saw this film in
0: that you saw Star Wars in with
1: your uncle? Or by this point, had your dad learned his lesson? No, my
0: my dad definitely re- reclaimed the, the okay. role. I did see this with my with my family. And um I believe I I believe this was Mm, One of the early films that I saw multiple times in the theater. There weren't a lot of films yet that I saw multiple times in the theater until this... I think this film sort of broke the ice on that practice. And since then, I've seen lots of films multiple times in the theater. But this one was... This was early. Because this is... What did we say this? What what year was 80? um, 80. This was 80. Yeah. This is about when that would have started. My parents were never
1: multiple movie in the theater goers um at least with me they might have seen some Chrono movies <laughs> on their own i don't know but i never mm, like the, see that never,
0: deer hunter on the big screen multiple <laughs> right. times
1: they never took us multiple times but that doesn't mean that i wouldn't have gone like with some friends or a birthday party or something like that i i really can't remember i definitely know i saw this in the theater the same theater i saw star wars in downtown steamboat springs but i i don't know now that you say that i feel like i may have only seen this the once in the theater because i remember when we were watching this at my babysitters um years later on vhs i was really uh surprised by some of the stuff that i just didn't remember like the whole part after uh after Uh, Darth Vader tells Luke that he's his father, and and Luke makes the decision to just fall to his death inside the uh, Cloud City uh, central air chamber. I don't know where they are. But um, when he makes the decision to fall, like, I completely... Forgot about his whole trip down that. How he kind of gets sucked through all these different tubes and ends up in the bottom. Like I forgot all that. So it was like really exciting to see all these different things. Like oh, I forgot that that's what happens. And so yeah, it was it was fun to see. When did you forget that stuff happened? Just now? No, like when from the time I saw it in the theater to a few oh. years later when I saw it at my oh. babysitter's
0: house. Oh, the babysitter's house. Yeah, yeah. which was probably
1: okay. like the probably I'm assuming that would have been the second time that I watched it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure. Yeah. um i you know for me I love hoth so much like hoth is is the coolest planet for me literally in the Star wars yeah it was also literally the coolest planet so <laughs> you made that joke and uh <laughs> so i I love the setting I had never seen spacey stuff in snow before and that was so exhilarating for my young brain that it just locked in there as the the most awesome uh adaptation for star wars and and has been since until maybe uh where were the clones uh they were made on uh, that water planet they could have done more with that i like the water planet too but uh man i love hoth camino camino yeah Yeah, the the Camino. So, you know, I think, I think just this is, this gives us a sense. Like, we had the desert planet, but we didn't have any context of what they were trying to do, what Lucas was doing. And this starts to build the planetary systems, like the ecology of Star Wars. And I think that's kind of, that's a legit thing that we have desert planet, we have forest planet that we're going to meet sometime, we have, uh, we have swamp planet that we meet here, we have ice planet that we meet here, like, they, I think Lucas actually effectively introduced to science fiction, uh, the ecology of, of these planetary systems that are interesting, that do different things to our, to the context of ships and robots and, and the people that interact with them and, and sort of force our characters to address and adapt in fun ways. And uh, it, if anything, this movie, I think, um, exemplifies that bit of fun. Uh, that, that I think is, is peak Star Wars Star Wars for me.
1: Well, that's definitely become a, a Star Wars, uh, it's almost its own Star Wars trope at this point, yeah. where each yeah. planet is its own ecology. Tatooine is the desert planet. We've got Hoth, which is all ice. We've got uh, Dagobah, which is the big swamp, and and that's kind of all we've seen at this point in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Plus a lot of space stuff. And I mean, you know, we see Princess Leia's planet blown up, but just from space, we don't actually go down to it to kind of experience what that planet happens to be like. Uh, and so, yeah, largely, like if there's if, if there's something to say about like the world that Lucas is building here, it's like okay, let's take what we did with the first film. We had Tatooine and we had space. Um, plus, we have this Death Star. Now we're going to up things a little bit. We're going to have two ecologies, two planets, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to do a well, lot more space. We had two space. ecologies
0: last time, mm-hmm.
1: Yavin. Oh, yeah. yeah, Right. Right. Toward the end. So, right. The jungle of Yavin. I can't believe I forgot Mm -hmm. that. And so um, but it's but it is two totally different ones. And then also we're getting other things thrown in. So we've got like a whole chase through an asteroid field, which is a, a new thing, kind of taking space, but amping it up a little bit. And uh, we are introduced to a lot of other characters and and everything. So I think in the world of like taking what had worked and and building it in the sequel, I think we get a lot of that uh, from George Lucas as as he and his team were crafting the story here. Lee Brackett was uh, one of the screenwriters, and of course, uh, Kasdan and uh just you know put together a script that did a lot of what had already been given to us in the first star wars but kind of brought everything up even more amplified it so in context of that i mean how do you feel like when you watch this um that whole sequel the the issue of sequels is it giving us enough new stuff or and not just doing a repeat of what we had had before
0: Oh, I, I think this movie, in terms of the story and the narrative holes it's filling, right, in terms of what comes next, um, that th- I think it's actually quite perfect, right? That we have – we actually see what happens in the space between the award ceremony at the end of Star Wars and what happens when the rebellion continues to grow in and around our characters that Han and Luke are both – like leaders of the rebellion like they they actually evolve between stories you know and and i think that is i think that is just really perfect it's perfect it's a perfect way to pick up where we didn't quite leave off like just enough space to let us fill in some blanks between our between the stories in our head and show some evolution of these characters uh you know that we've that we have longed to come back to, for those of us who were fans of the first movie. I think that is, is quite perfect. The fact that it takes us to a complete set opposite, right, from the desert to the jungle, very hot, to completely cold, is both a, a thing, I think, to celebrate in Lucas and his storytelling, and also could be considered a, a limitation of his, his, you know, sort of central cleverness, which is, you know, okay, you're just swinging around different ecologies and calling them space but it totally works for me and uh uh you know i think all of all of the storytelling elements in this movie move the central points of each character forward in a way that is satisfying do you agree i mean do you have do you find big holes things your characters your favorite characters don't do that you really expected them to do No, I think, uh, well, that's why I was asking, because, you know,
1: I know that can be a complaint in the world of sequels, that it just felt like a rehash of the first film. It didn't do anything new or interesting. And I I feel like what Lucas, I mean, I think it helps that Lucas had kind of already plotted out so much of what he saw as the story for this trilogy. And to that extent, nine films even though we never really got his his version of 789 i I like that is uh, you know it it feels like this is a person who had kind of crafted this vision of this world and said okay i'm going to take um you know this first one is a good starting point and that can be a complete story in and of itself if it doesn't work if i if i don't get the money to ever do another one of these films this Star Wars film can stand alone as its own little space adventure, right? And I think that's the strength of doing a story like this. The Wachowskis did the same thing with the first Matrix. They they wrote a story that if it wasn't a success, it could stand on its own as a thing. Not like something like the Golden Compass, which you kind of want to continue, or Elite a Battle Angel, where you're like, well, you never you never got enough to kind of tell us the rest of those stories. So you should have just told us a complete story so that we could have at least had something that that had closure and i think that was a very smart thing to do and what i love about this film when it kicks off again you get that opening crawl and right out of the gate it tells you you know although the death star has been destroyed which was a victory the big victory at the end of the last film imperial troops have driven the driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy so that tells you they they blew up the Death Star, but the Empire is still there, and they this this army of rebels still has to figure out how to defeat them, and I think that works exceptionally well in the way that they've kind of expanded on everything within the context of this film with the new characters and giving Luke and Han, like you said, um, they are uh, and Leia all positions within the the Alliance, kind of working as. As, you know, higher ups, people leading their own squadrons and everything. But also now we have the the Emperor and we get more on Darth Vader's side. You know, last time, you know, he was kind of the, the second in command, I guess you could say, to Tarkin. Um, but now we see that Darth Vader's kind of in command, but there's also the Emperor who he's answering to. And uh, so we're getting a much more expansive universe. And then we're introduced to more people, like Obi-Wan is gone, his force ghost is still around, we get to see him pop up, and we get to meet Yoda. So he, so Lucas, along with the two writers, found a great way to kind of continue expanding this story. And I, I, I find it just so successful and exciting every time I watch it that it just feels like just another part of this big adventure. And I love that. I love the way it
0: plays out. Well, and the other thing that this movie does, I'll I'll start by talking about the relationship because I think the the relationship, the the we'll say kind of creepy love triangle, but mostly the relationship between Han and Leia, is I think really fun. And look at how efficient that is to tell us where they are in their relationship together right out of the gate. I mean, right from the jump, there's romantic tension, and it's all about him leaving. He has to go pay off Jabba the Hut, uh, a name that we didn't know. Uh, apart from just passing mention in the cantina, um, uh, it, it is now being passed mentioned here. So they're building that tension toward this, uh, this unseen mercenary and, we get to to feel what it's like, the tension between Han and Leia on his potential departure, which ends up turning into a fractured story where we take all of our central characters from Hoth and put them in different places. And uh, I, I think that works really well because it builds that tension to bring them back together. There is now this like magnetism to get them back together uh, for, you know, a, a finale. And I think that that is excellent. Uh, so all of these things just feel generally good.
1: I, I was thinking about kind of movie tropes and action movie tropes, kind of like these sorts of movies. I, I was trying to think: are there other sequels where they took a team and they built a team in the first movie, and then in like the second one, they kind of split the team up and everyone's doing their own thing? It certainly has become something that you see regularly in these sorts of stories now. I mean, I guess *Lord of the Rings*, um, going back to the original book, obviously that's what uh, what Tolkien does in the second book, and to that end. I suppose that's an interesting comparison because in the two towers you have the two uh you know factions splitting off to to kind of continue their own individual missions that are part of this overall mission and that very much is something that Lucas and his team did here and so to that end, it makes me wonder if they had looked to uh to what Tolkien had done in the structure of that story and kind of use that a
0: little bit to kind of uh guide guide this that's a great pull, and that's that's the that's the big one that that really fits the the model of what they've done here, and I think that I, I think that it works at the to the same scale, right? To so that same sort of epic scale. This one across the galaxy, that one across Middle Earth. So I, I think it's really good. Do you run into issues with this film? This is th-
1: one of the regular complaints of this film, including people like J.J. Abrams, who talked about this when he directed Episode 7, is that this film cannot exist on its own as a standalone film. It has to uh, be a part of this trilogy because of the way that it starts it's kind of coming in on what we had done in the first film. And because of the way it ends, where it ends kind of on this cliffhanger, you're not sure what, you know, what's going to happen. Are they going to be able to figure out how to save Han? What's going on uh, to set up the third film? And to that end, uh, and, you know, some people have the same issue with the two towers as well, because it's it it very much is a piece of a trilogy that can't be separated out. And some people say, it will never be my favorite because it can't be
0: something that just stands on its own I don't understand why that's a requirement uh, of uh, to be a good movie I don't I don't get it well I think they say it's still a
1: good movie they just say it it can't be it's not something that can live on its own like if I watch this I need to then also watch the other two I, I feel like that's what a lot of
0: people say can you think of another what give me some more examples of movies that that are like this like it like the same example of movies can you think of any others that that were made before the original trilogy perhaps that have created effectively a binge experience
1: would you say that is something that you run into with the godfather
0: 2 i think that that was that was one that came up in my mind but i don't i don't necessarily feel like that is an issue because the godfather 2 ends with the door closing. Is that the last shot? That's the first movie. Oh, right, right, right. They're at the wait, they're at the lake house and he becomes the man. See, to me that's all one movie. Maybe <laughs> maybe they work. both end
1: with the door shutting on her. Now I now I'm I'm blending them all in my head uh so i well i guess either way it's an
0: ascension to power sequence right and so if you take the godfather as a a story that is about ascension to power in the first two movies and the execution of that or the the inability to exercise one from a position of power in the third movie that like uh, to me all three of those movies i can watch independently of the other and not and not feel like unrequited I, I maybe I'm alone in that, but I can't think of I can't think of any other movies before that, or before this, that were quite so clear on the on, on the serialized nature of them.
1: I think that goes to stories that are multi-part stories, mm-hmm. and I think The Godfather can be seen as a multi-part story where it's one big story, like episodes uh, four, five, and six really kind of tell this complete story. Uh, and and you could say the same thing about the Matrix trilogy, uh, like all these different trilogies. This really kind of created this concept of, you know, each film is its own story, but it builds to a complete trilogy. Like, I feel like this is really where that started. The whole concept that George Lucas came up with, where I have this trilogy and we're going to tell this trilogy uh, because it's one story. It's a complete story. And I I feel, again, I feel like he probably pulled that from Tolkien and what Tolkien was doing with Lord of the Rings. But it in the the film world, well, yeah, but in the film world, right, created a a movie of it. Because I think if you look at stuff like Jaws, uh, Jaws 2 certainly came out before this did. But I don't think that the people behind Jaws ever really felt like jaws is the first part of this epic story (laughs) about man versus shark that's going to end in the bahamas jaws too is going to be
0: from the perspective of the shark (laughs) that was never a part of what
1: they were doing no but in context of uh of lucas he kind of created this whole thing and so i feel like i can understand where people run into that as a potential issue And why people say, if I'm going to sit down, I'm either going to watch Star Wars by itself or I'm going to watch the trilogy because it's kind of this complete story. And and, and I get that. I understand that perspective when you're looking at telling a, or kind of experiencing a complete story. I think back, I'm like, how many times have I sat down just to watch Empire without any context of having watched Star Wars before or Jedi after? And I feel like, I have but I also feel like it hasn't been as often
0: as when I have watched it as a part of re- kind of going back through the trilogy. Well, and some of that is like we have to go back to when we actually were watching this movie for the first time, right? Like it felt supernatural to go from Star Wars to this. It's the same not characters supernatural, it picks just up. just to keep it clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it it feels not- supernatural. Did not feel supernatural. It was super natural uh, to go between the first two movies and that there was like when I think about the like just the way sort of the last shot of this movie, you know. With the end of the first movie, Darth Vader's floating off into space unrequited. We don't know what happens to him. Uh, There are threads that are left untied at the end of the first movie. Just, you know, this one maybe is is more explicit with them saying, "Okay, we're really seriously going to go find we're going to go do things that are that you're not going to know about for possibly years. But so what? Like Luke and friends will return. I'm okay with all of that. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any problem sitting down watching this movie, Empire Strikes Back, as a standalone piece of work. It's great.
1: No, I, I don't either. I guess in context, though, I do understand when people say it's a middle film and I need that context when I'm going to sit down and watch it. Like, I, I get it. I get it. I just don't necessarily always feel that way.
0: If you were coming to this as a first I hope that you are coming to it with a friend who can tell you if you need to know. But if this is the first, if you've never sat down and watched a Star Wars movie, I would love to know your experience watching just this one. We need someone who is new to Star Wars, who's never seen any of them, who can just so watch can this first <laughs> and see what happens. We're going to break you. You need to sacrifice yourself for the greater good, for the J.J. conundrum, the J.J. Abrams conundrum. Is it possible for you to watch and enjoy this movie and get enough out of it? And Because what do you know? What you learn when when all these pieces come together, you learn that all you're meeting are three people. Uh, two of them have a little bit of a potential relationship. It starts in media rest. So what? So do a lot of movies. It, like... Let's just say the other one doesn't exist. Could you have made this movie? I think you could.
1: Well, yeah, it'd be hard because you don't. This movie does not give you um, time to kind of like have some of that backstory that you would have already received from that first film. So, yes, it is in media rest. But at the same time, you're not getting the benefit of already knowing Luke Pined. For finally getting to go into space because that you know, he was stuck on the farm. Like you don't get those elements. You just get, oh, he's this he's this pilot, and here he goes. Uh, you know, he gets attacked by a monster and then he sees a ghost who tells him to go to a planet and talk to a, a little uh little green guy. And it's so I can see where you walk into this going, that was a little weird. I don't know, I don't know really if I understood his story. And who's the ghost <laughs> guy who keeps talking to him? Is that
0: his grandpa? Uh, you know what, I'll, I will grant you, I'll grant you the grandpa ghost story. Uh, that is a little <laughs> bit wonky. That, that's a piece. But everything else, I actually think, I mean, the, the way Star Wars begins, you're in the middle of a fight. You don't know who Darth Vader is when he starts walking down the hallway and they blow the door open. Like, you don't know any of that. Yeah. And uh, apparently that was a problem to others because they went and made Rogue One. <laughs> hey now, hey now, <laughs> we're, not, we're not bashing on the Rogue. No, 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 I like the Rogue. Yeah. yeah, it's fine.
1: Anyway. Okay, well, that you bring up some now that you've brought that up, now you've opened this can of worms. Let's talk about <laughs> things that as you watch this, do you find yourself going, hmm, well, that doesn't line up with Obi-Wan? Huh, well, that doesn't even line up with the the prequels that George Lucas himself did. Huh, that doesn't really line up with uh, this project or that project. Do you find yourself doing that constantly now? through these through these films there were so many things and so many lines that people had said i'm like huh that doesn't really make sense anymore i wish they i wish they had found another way around that like like yoda it says yoda yoda
0: is the one who instructed obi-wan it's like wait a minute (laughs) where's (laughs) qui-gon where's qui-gon qui-gon was was a figment of all of our imaginations that's the stuff that that really uh that really breaks and the fact that you know not not that things don't Change over time, but the rather militant kind of training of the Jedi, now that we've seen them invest so much in the training of the Jedi, it almost makes you think, hey, did Yoda forget how to train Jedi? Well, <laughs> like, I had so many questions with Yoda. Now we will jump over
2: rocks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was like, wait, so does Yoda so Yoda and R2 don't recognize each other? So we have no, that whole thing. I hate We it. have we have the fact that um yoda is just like i'm like is he this way because he has been alone for so long like he's mm-hmm. kind of started losing his mind a little bit because he's like or was it he, a test or well it, it's a weird test though to come in as like this strange person who's just crawling around like picking up flashlights and stuff like is that the sort of test that you would do <laughs> like well it's like it's a it's it's beyond like a person it's not just like like who let, let me help you find this yoda character it's a I'm going to pretend I'm a crazy person
0: and yeah. see how you handle it. Like, it's a weird to test. To see how patient you are. It's a weird test. Yeah. So we're, te- we're testing patience. I actually, I had less of a problem with the with the Yoda's crazy uh, bit, uh, much because I have such an affinity for the, the puppetry. Oh, yeah. And the voice, right? I mean, it's just fun. It, it is just fun. It also is exactly the kind of thing I can imagine Lucas writing exactly this way. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, this this scene is a to me, a more successful thing scene than Jar Jar Banks writ large, like, but it's from the <laughs> same guy. So um, I, I, I actually had less of a problem with that. But it is it's stunning to me how these droids, which are a consistent figure throughout the entire series can be fundamentally so broken now in the original trilogy because of what they've done with the droids elsewhere. Why? What are they doing putting jets on R2-D2? Yeah, right. In the prequels? What are they doing doing that? And then just, did they forget that he falls into the swamp and just has to roll his way out? Did they forget all of these things? Like, it's just, it makes it impossible it makes it hard to watch without constantly having to reset your own expectations that that is a that is trouble
1: well and that's perpetually going to be the issue with projects that are made to take place before something else it's like you're putting yourself into a uh, into a place where you now have to make sure that everything you do fits in context of what you're experiencing later in films that were done before, you know, and and it's a very backwards way about going about this. You know, I had the same issue with Prometheus and what Ridley Scott did there. It's like none of the technology that you created in Prometheus feels like it happened before Alien. Like it just it just doesn't fit. And so it ends up creating a very frustrating... A uh, way of going about storytelling. And, you know, I still I don't mind the prequels. I'm, you know, not a an ad, active defender of the prequels, but I generally still find myself having fun with them. Uh, but I do feel that if Lucas had been smarter about it, he would have said, you know what? I don't need to tie in the droids to the prequels. Let's just have a whole new series of droid characters. The fact that he really wanted it to be this kind of buddy story that continued through the entire nine films really makes it a challenge. And the only solution would have been to do what he did for one reason or another to just c-3po i don't know why he didn't have it said to r2d2 but like let's wipe the droid's memory and start him over from scratch it's like if but also he just... then let's
0: wipe all the other characters who've ever come in t- contact with them their memory too yeah, everybody's right. memory gets wiped for some reason yeah,
1: right right it's it, it ends up creating a lot of issues and I, I like i was thinking about that with you know the most recent thing obi-wan the tv show like everything ends up creating this conundrum that is frustrating. And that's honestly why I really find just at the, the absolute core heart of my passion for star Wars. It is this original trilogy. And that's again, why I really enjoy going back and looking at these Harmy's despecialized editions, because it just, it feels like what I had initially experienced. And it just, it, it, it makes it feel like that much more uh, kind of that original whole that didn't have to get messed with
0: right right Wait, and i i don't want to i don't know that this is necessarily a controversial opinion and i i don't necessarily think we need to discuss this but since in a past season we did all the star trek movies the the star trek star wars comparisons are not Without some merit, and uh, I think what is so interesting now, when you look at what Star Trek is doing on the small screen on Paramount Plus, I think you could you can make the case that they are doing that this sort of nostalgia so much better than Star Wars is is doing with all the or, or did with all the prequels and requels and sequels and all that, uh, and and everything doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that the technology doesn't get to look like it fits as something that is made now but also functions as it did pre-1960s like they they have they have managed to blend those things in a show like strange new worlds that is just glorious and um and i think works like i have no qualms with what they're doing with that show star star wars gives me every ample opportunity to think about how it's broken well, and that's
1: I mean I I I can't speak to any of the that Star Trek stuff cuz you know me. I'm an advocate uh fan of the films and the first two series and that's all I've ever seen. And so I can't really speak to anything else that they have done in the world of Star Trek and and kind of the exploration and the expansion of it. But I I I wonder if it's the is it the the creators and the people helming it who are uh, in charge of kind of keeping things uh, in line, essentially, and tying them together? Or is it the fact, and I, I don't even know enough about these new shows that you're talking about, like, is it the fact that they're taking old characters, but they're they're squeezing these things in ways that make sense? Or are they just taking not the same characters, but but story elements that happen at the same time? Like, what is it about it that's working?
0: Just to give you an example of Strange New Worlds, they're taking the—it's a story— Yeah, what is the story of that? Because I don't know. Strange New Worlds is is the story of the USS Enterprise when it was still captained by Captain Christopher Pike. And so, for example, Uhura is on that show as a 20-something cadet doing a cadet rotation. We meet her as a student, and she's fantastic.
1: Is this in the— two thousand nine split of the of the franchise or is this in the no. original this is okay.
0: so it's in the it, it's in the so this is actually a spin off of discovery timey wimey hand wavy stuff But what we get is, so you remember the 1960 series, there was the original pilot that never aired called The Cage, and that was with Commander Captain Christopher Pike. And Spock was there, and all the other characters were there, but the captain was Christopher Pike, and that pilot never aired. They recast the captain as William Shatner and later reintroduced Pike as this melted kind of guy in a neck-up wheelchair who couldn't speak as part of a, a later episode you know we was rolling around it was part of a court scene and so he was a part of the lore well this is before pike was injured to the point where he couldn't communicate and had to roll around so it was before he'd grow up to become bruce greenwood yes before he becomes <laughs> Bruce greenwood it is before he becomes bruce greenwood It is before captain uh william shatner <laughs> Kirk, before Kirk. Captain Kirk takes over the Enterprise. And in fact, they managed to introduce Captain Kirk when he was a captain of another starship in Strange New Worlds. And I didn't throw a fit, man. They did it so well. <laughs> like, it's, it, it is just, I am constantly amazed at how daring that show is at playing with nostalgia and doing it in a way that is ultimately satisfying. Not only that, I'll say this, great. Filmmaking on this show—it is beautiful.
1: Well, okay, so so I I feel like you know, I mean, I, I don't want to get too far astray from yeah. Empire Strikes Back, definitely. But just to just that. to kind of like try closing this the this part of the conversation, I, I can't think of many prequels that had been out there. Like, I mean, The Godfather Two certainly has uh, flashbacks uh, to when Don Corleone was young. I, I don't know if that really constitutes a prequel as much as an actual prequel, but I feel like is, is George Lucas's episodes one, two, and three. Is that really kind of where this whole world of prequels came about? I feel like it may have been. And so to that end, I, I I guess I would just say, you know, it was a, there's definitely been a learning curve with how to go about doing this sort of storytelling. I don't think George Lucas was, uh, as, Um, as clean as he could have been in going back and doing this sort of thing. I feel like by the time that you're getting to strange new worlds in, in 2021, 2022, That's, you know, several decades of people playing around with this and figuring out how to do it right. And so I feel like by the time you're getting to this point, they have learned the lessons that George Lucas, um, you know, from from what he had originally started. And, and, you know, he you know, they're they're kind of at a point where things
0: maybe are going to be in better shape now because of that. I 100% agree with that. And I think just in terms of data, let's look to the Wikipedia. The, the term prequel first appeared in an article in 1958... By Anthony Boucher in the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, and he was describing James Blish's 1956 story, They Shall Have Stars, which expanded on the story introduced in the earlier 1955 book, Earthman Come Home. So that was the first sort of narrative, like literary prequel, a book that was intended to expand on the universe but came chronologically before. Uh, Butch Cassidy, Butch and Sundance, The Early Days, came out in 1979
1: that's uh, that's an interesting one because yeah i guess it takes it takes characters but go well let's go to the beginning of their lives and that's so it's a biopic but kind of a different point in their life but okay i i'm gonna take a a stance with life stories that they don't work because you're looking at a different point in their life so i don't think butch and sundance the early years counts as a prequel because then you could say, like, take any film about Abraham Lincoln. This is this older Lincoln. This is this young Lincoln. Is that a
0: prequel? No, it's just telling a different point in his life. Okay. All right. You, you win this round. Uh, in that case, the original, the original book, The Death of Arthur, published in 1210, the prequel, The History of the Holy Grail, Published in twelve thirty is also considered a prequel. That's, oh my that's goodness. Wikipedia's really nailing it. <laughs> uh, so in terms of films, so the Golem uh, was published in was released in nineteen fifteen and a prequel, the Golem, How He Came Into the World Was nineteen twenty, but I think that fails the Andy test because I haven't seen either of them. But it sounds like how he came into the world is leading the punch. uh, That it's actually a life story. Good morning, boys. Nineteen thirty-seven prequel. Hey, hey, USA. Nineteen thirty-eight. How about the Wizard of Oz? Nineteen thirty-nine. Oz the Great and Powerful. Two thousand thirteen. Obviously doesn't count because it was (laughs) after Star Wars. That's a little. Wow, that's a yeah very delayed prequel. The Little Foxes, Andy. Yeah. We talked about that on the show. Was the original movie, do you know what the prequel was? Another Part of the Forest, released in 1948.
1: Oh. Yeah. And that, the Little Foxes was a play, so was the other one? Yeah. Okay,
0: interesting. That's interesting. Uh Cat People, The Seventh Victim. This is Cat People, 1942, and The Seventh Victim, 1943. Uh, House of Horrors and The Brute Man. Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, and Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. They consider that a prequel uh, because it... a different part of his life. How about Psycho, nineteen sixty, and Psycho for the Beginning, nineteen ninety, well, released for TV. That's a I knew that would raise also. your hackles. Well, no, it's after Star Wars. That doesn't. Uh, oh, you're yeah, you're right. Uh, Zulu, nineteen sixty four. Zulu Dawn, nineteen seventy nine. Oh dear. That's They're a, calling. But
1: that's a that's a that's a uh, based on a true
0: yeah. uh, historic thing. So I don't know if that counts. All right, I think this is going to get you. This is going to get you riled. I'm going to settle in. I got to buckle up. Uh, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more. Prequel, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Hmm. I... Uh, is there an Andy test this could fail? I,
1: I don't know. I, I guess it really depends on if you are really going to lean in and say that uh, Blondie is the same, the absolute same character across all three films, or he, if he's kind of a character character type that yeah. is in the like the man with no name, is he officially a character called Blondie the Man with no name, or is he a different shape of character? Because like, you know, Lee Van Cleef comes back, but he's definitely a different character in um uh which one is he
0: in for a few dollars more. Right, so, right. Uh, well I have I have hmm. more Andy that we've done on the show that I need you to just quickly vote on. Planet of the apes. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the original movie sequel, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet, Battle of the Planet of the Apes, prequels.
1: Escape from the Planet of the Apes is a continuation of the story. Um, uh, what, they're calling that a prequel. They're calling that a prequel, but it's not because it's a time travel movie. And so you can't just because a movie is a time travel movie, you can't thereby say, well, it takes place before that first film.
0: Just because our present characters go to the earlier time does not make it a prequel. Yeah, it's I, I don't right. I don't consider that. One. Well, all this is to say, like then we get into Butch and Sunday, We talked about Easy Rider. They say has a prequel, Easy Rider: The Ride Black or Ride Back. Uh, Godfather, Mortal Kombat, uh, They gave a thing, but that was ninety five. Uh, yeah, so know. there's a lot. There's a lot there is a lot. But really, until we get to Star Wars after Star Wars, it goes crazy with the list of film prequels. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, uh, you know, to to make the point that, you know, did did Lucas and crew come up with the uh, prequel? Absolutely not. Did Lucas and crew with the with the the sort of mega pop culture cred that Star Wars had in the in the film community? Did it popularize and get people thinking about prequels and opportunities with prequels? I think absolutely. I think you can chart that back here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you agree? Well, chart, you not to here, but I, I feel like I feel like there's two elements. There's a part that George Lucas had said, "Well, there's episodes one, two, and three that take place before this." So there was already something in all of our heads about, "Ooh, these stories that take place before." He set um, it up before he even started. Yeah, but so to that end, it was it was it was a prequel that we already knew he knew about and he kind of knew what the story was as opposed to a lot of these where they just kind of come up with it after the fact and say, well, let's tell the story about what happened to that alien in alien and let's just write a whole thing about it. And that kind of becomes a a conundrum when it goes into that. And I mean, certainly I think the same could be said for Star Trek, but it sounds like by now they're learning a little bit on how to, um, how to do it and not make it as messy as it uh, was back in these early days.
0: Well, I think everyone is learning, and I would give a specific shout out to the prequels of The Mummy Returns, Andy. All five Scorpion King movies. Am I right? Am I right? I just, you know, I, I, we haven't told our listeners,
1: but those are for sure the next five member bonus episodes.
0: We're doing those right after we do all of the Teen Vampire franchise. <laughs> oh, all of them! All of them. Oh okay. Gosh. Is there any? What, let's get back to this. Um, movie. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back. I question. Okay. Well. Okay.
1: Favorite new character introduced in this film for you? The Yeti. <laughs>
0: The, it's called <laughs> a wampa. The of yeti. course that's not true. Oh uh, I say you yeti can't... because I, it makes me so mad. I'm trying to diminish it because Why? it makes me so mad. Luke makes me mad too. I didn't what? realize how angry I got I got in this. Luke stops on a Tauntaun in the middle of a wide open ice plane. And somehow this nine foot tall beast is able to sneak up on them. No, no, no. It's <laughs> he's a just wampa. looking the he, other he's way. Like, he's and then, laying uh, in
1: the snow no, ready to attack. He's not
0: Nine I, I, feet tall, Andy uh, He's a giant of a monster He's laying giant in the of snow a he, he's, not he's not hiding in, in the, the snow. snow
1: He's hiding in, in a, uh, a little pile
0: Oh my god <laughs> You Your inner child Is definitely not under the closet <laughs> Under the stairs today He is out and ready to just make crap up uh, Hey, you know what <laughs> He I, says, talking I no about issue. the
1: Empire Strikes Back <laughs> Okay. okay so you don't like uh, the wampa you have issues
0: yeah i have issues with the wampa uh okay um there there are a lot of things i uh love in this uh in this movie that are funny but favorite new character man yeah. how do you even do that uh it's very easy it, it is yeah is it yoda for you?
1: It it's well, I guess I shouldn't say it's very easy. I I always have a toss up between Yoda and Boba Fett. But I think it has to be Yoda because Yoda is a full fully fleshed out character. Boba Fett I just was mesmerized by because the this whole group of bounty hunters like that you see in the background. You don't get a lot of them, but it's it's clear why they turned into such a draw for so many people, because it's just such a strange-looking group that you have back there. And I, th- they were the ones I wanted all the figures of, because they all looked so cool. But Yoda would absolutely be my favorite new character, Uh, fantastically kind of rendered and designed, and such an interesting character. So many great moments with Yoda, uh, absolutely was my favorite.
0: So I probably would have picked Boba Fett if you had if you were answering my question. And my question is favorite new nonsense vehicle introduced in the Empire Strikes Back. There are several. (laughs) Describe a nonsense vehicle. <laughs> uh, well, Boba Fett's ship is kind of a nonsense vehicle. Like we get a lot of it, but it's it's kind of bizarre that the, the way it, yeah. they design this ship, the way it lands, the way it takes off. It's it's impractical. Um, but the ATATs, the ATSTs, nonsense ships, the fact that the speeders have a rear gunner whose job is to fire a grappling hook is just <laughs> nonsense to me. Takes Luke out of the picture so fast, even though he can still. Why uh, it is ridiculous? So uh, there are uh, a number of those kinds of things. But the the I had all the vehicles growing up. Like I had uh, I had the Millennium Falcon already from uh, you know from Star Wars. I got the ad, I got the ATST. Uh, I had Boba Fett's ship. Like I had the whole the whole thing. And uh, you know they were they were staples in my bedroom uh, battlefield. So uh, I think the ATAT is my favorite vehicle. It's funny you're
1: one of the ATAT people. I'm an adat person.
0: I'm an adat. I think I'm an adat. Per- I only became an ATAT person like in the last 35 seconds. I don't know why I started saying that's it's ridiculous. It's so- I think it was only because I said ATST and you can't say atst. Uh, well, that's very true, but uh, there are
1: there are still people who say adats and ATSTs. So, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I have always said adats, but
0: I'm going to go with adat.
1: Yeah, as opposed to Imperial Walkers, which you can also call them.
0: Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care for that either. Uh, I do love that the Millennium Falcon, in terms of vehicles ships, gets such play in this movie. Like it's always broken. It has such identity. It actually, this Millennium Falcon starts to remind me of the Millennium Falcon in, in Solo, which I, you know, and and the story that they're trying to imbue into the Millennium Falcon as it as you know, she's got a few tricks left in her. Well, yeah, that's one of the other things, because I'm like, I'm
1: like, you know, why doesn't uh, Lando then say, hey, why don't you go plug yourself into the computer and you can talk to my old robo girlfriend? You know, it's like things like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anyway, anyway. But you do see more of the Morning Falcon in this movie. Like, you see you're in places that it, you didn't get to go in the last movie. I thought it was great. And, you know, they they always said
1: when they saw it in the last films, like, what a hunk of junk. Like, all this sort of stuff. Like, nobody ever seems to think it looks like a cool ship, which is such a strange thing because it's one of the coolest ships out there. Yeah. But this is the film that really proves that it kind of is a hunk of junk. Like, this thing is, like, held together with yeah. duct tape and it's string. An accident. Yeah. It's very right. funny. Right. No. I I do love the ships. I love the action sequences. Hoth uh, is an absolute favorite. I've always loved the opening of the film. Um and uh, the the climax of the film. Like is when we finally get Luke and everybody back together on Cloud City and Han is frozen in carbonite. And then you have this battle with uh Luke and Vader. It is one of the best uses of kind of the blue and orange uh and it's just it's such a brilliantly conceived like action sequence the way it's all put together building to the big reveal and i well here's a question i have for you if you can recall and i doubt you can because i can't for myself when you saw darth vader or in the in star wars did you think that he was a robot or did you think it was a person inside of a a, a, a outfit because like c-3po Man. i always said well he's a robot so yeah. i don't know like did i think darth vader was like a a a cyborg or a robot or what. And I don't know. I, because was
0: a, I think I thought he was some sort of a man, a man bot. Because you hear him breathing. Well, but it's kind of that robo-breath. And so that's why I don't know what I thought. What is
1: robo-breath? When do robots breathe? No, but it's it's such a deliberately motorized breathing. It's always It's like always that. It's not like he it's not like when he's fighting, all of a sudden he's
0: As he's trying to catch his breath or something, you know? That's his mindfulness fight. He's meditating. He just keeps his breath. His breath is very even. His pulse is very even. Yeah. I, I think, I, you know, I'm sure this is probably my dad at some point, I think, said, oh, you know, he's he's like a walking iron lung. And I probably internalized that, that that he was in some sort of a medical device. It was a guy. I
1: would not have had any idea what an iron lung was when I was eight.
0: Oh, We were, we were big iron lung Did fans you? in our house. Let's go iron lung shopping son. You <laughs> never know. Had, we had to start out one. Star iron <laughs> lungs for pre- precautionary iron lungs. Okay. one for the family in the basement. I um
1: but I but I do think it was interesting at, toward the start of this film when you have that moment when one of Vader's uh, uh men come in to talk to him and you actually see him in his little pod which is introduced in this film and you see his helmet being put back on and you see, Oh, he's actually human. Like if you had any doubt before you, or you thought he was a robot, like this is that moment you go, Oh, he's actually like a, a a man inside that thing. And I think that was a very interesting thing to kind of set up toward the start of this film because of what we have as that big reveal at the end of the film
0: that, that he's actually the father. And it's so clever. And, and your question actually, it makes me think specifically they probably had these complaints that people didn't know that Vader was not a man. They had to show his scarred head, mm, flesh enough. and bone, in order to make the last moment the big reveal. I am your father resonate. Correct, otherwise, like, what is he, is, does that mean? Luke's a robot? Luke's a robot? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so did, did his dad build? Does him? he not know? <laughs> <laughs> So um, That's, I would yeah, love to so see totally I, I would
1: I would wonder if Luke or if uh, Lucas had had a focus group like with people <laughs> trying to figure out totally like do, what do you think of Darth Vader is he a robot it's like a one question a focus yeah. group robot yeah. or
0: not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, let me ask you, though, and I, I don't I feel like we could we could get on the oh, my God, the prequels broke everything. But I do think this question is worth addressing. I'm interested in your opinion. Does this question, Luke, uh, you know, join me, uh, we'll rule the galaxy together, I am your father, do the prequels fundamentally break that? And is that possibly an indication that Lucas never intended for these to be released, to be watched in chrono- in uh, order, rather only in chron- chronology?
1: Well, I feel like he actually came out when the prequels were being released, saying that now that they're out there, the intended order watching order is episodes
0: one on like start at one and just go through the story well he's a fool he doesn't know what he's talking about i think this whole thing is totally messed up if you already know that that luke is anakin's son like yeah you it there's no there's nothing to it it's an empty scene
1: well that's why they're the the machete version came into being and people said this is the proper this is how you should watch it i showed my kids the uh the six films in the machete order and honestly i don't think that they cared one way or the other i don't think it was any sort of impactful moment for them i I think they're like (laughs) okay Uh, you know star wars has never been a big thing for them they're like yeah all right whatever He's his dad, so what? But they would already they already knew about Star Wars, right, when you showed no. it to, Or was this their first watch? No, it was on their first watch. We watched the machete version. It is one of those things that um, does come up. But, uh, you know, I I think that um, there is a benefit to watching in release order. I, I do like that. Yeah, but I also, I, so, I, I do enjoy the machete order. And so I think there are ways you could, I, I mean, I think at this point it's like, you know, what what do you feel is going to be the best way for you to just enjoy them? The
0: Harmy Despecialized Order. Well, we definitely like those. Okay. Some of the comedy works really well, but my favorite is, I think, the unintentional comedy when Darth Vader yells, General Veers! and turns around and Veers is right there in his face. (laughs) It feels like a National Lampoon's moment. Rusty! (laughs) Right here, Dad. (laughs) That's what I wanted (laughs) Veers to say. Uh, Right here, Lord Vader.
1: Um, (laughs) Well, and and also, I feel like there's Incredible comedy with the fact that Darth Vader is constantly killing his his people, like when they disappoint him. It's like another dead body.
0: And doing that on video too. Like God, if I could just kill you over Facetime, (laughs) man.
1: (laughs) It was Uh, very funny. It made me laugh uh, every time when he, he was
0: doing that. So it was good stuff. Here's here's the thing going into this movie. I wonder if I ever thought this. When the Death Star is gone, what could they possibly replace it with in terms of awesome, magnificent, giant set pieces? And I think they have two. The first one is in space. I think the, the way they use Star Destroyers and that Super Star Destroyer, they're glorious. They're wonderful. And two, Cloud City is, of course, a set piece of just majesty hanging in the clouds. I think it is just wonderful. And uh, the final set piece, all the different places... Uh, And that we haven't even mentioned the word carbonite yet, which is a huge piece of Star Wars lore uh, started here. I love you. I know. And um, so all of those pieces are, you know, this is that's what I think of when I think of, of the legacy of Empire Strikes Back. And it's why I keep coming back to this movie.
1: Yeah, no, so many great things, like all these different places are created so beautifully. And you're right about the uh, the Star Destroyers, and it's great because you see like three or four Star Destroyers like all flying around, and we already saw how big those were. But yeah. then when you see the Executor <laughs> flying uh, beyond, yeah. beyond them and you realize, oh, this thing is so much bigger than these things. And I was actually trying to find something. Uh, to kind of clarify exactly how big this thing is and apparently this has been a source of a lot of contention over the years because it has been varied as far as the number of people that and and sources that kind of give different different lengths of exactly how long it is but what uh, and again i don't know if this is actually correct or not but they say the executor is about not quite eight and a half times the size of a regular star destroyer, which means that it's thirteen thousand four hundred sixty-nine meters long. Again, wow! That's this particular opinion, but regardless, that's huge. Wow. That is, yeah, huge. So, yeah, huge. I, um, I can't even imagine. A, yeah,
0: yeah. But. There's a there is a website. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll post the link and for. Putting in the show notes, but there are these YouTube videos of ship size comparisons in 3D, where oh, yeah. you can those are see. Cool. Have you seen those? Those are so cool. And where, it's I like, not it, not just from this franchise, but it takes all sorts no, of f- ships from all varieties of things. Yeah, those are cool. Right. And so, what did you say? Because it says in this one, it says the superstar Destroyer is 19,000 meters. Oh, this said 13,000
1: meters. So yeah, oh, okay. again, it, it, it clearly uh, there's a lot of different points of contention about it.
0: Well, and this is compared to the other legendary spacefaring massive ship, which is Spaceballs 1, which is (laughs) 11,000 meters. So it is even the joke isn't as big as the biggest of these ships. That's funny. Yeah, I thought that was great. Do you ever wonder,
1: like, why is Darth Vader going so hard uh, trying to seemingly kill Luke at the end only to say, join me? son. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about yeah. the fact that I've been really legitimately trying to kill
0: you for the last 20 minutes. I, I really want to partner up. I wonder if that's a writing concern, if it's just that Vader and the way they, you know, Prowse and, and Jones are able to to sort of co-perform Vader, if they weren't able to, to accurately portray a sense of complexity in Vader's Motivation, because in watching it this time, when he's talking to the Emperor, to giant hologram Emperor, and he says, "You know, the monkey eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna get him." And and uh, yes, as you as you wish, uh, my Emperor. Um, I I could read those scenes as him being somehow duplicitous. That really, what he wants is to get back to his son, so he can make this offer, and they can uh, you know execute what ultimately they want to do in in Jedi you know to that that final moment and so i wonder if that's you know if that's part of it that it just is performatively lacking and so we might give it less credit than it's due
1: and it's also one of those scripted things where i think the audience would have felt it was very strange had darth vader been seeming to pull his punches like why is he you know acting this way like you know I feel like people, or or he would have come across as weak, and I don't think Lucas or Kirshner we haven't even talked about the fact that he Lucas brought in a different director for this irvin kirshner yeah, right um but yeah the the whole idea of this person who is a little who would have seemed weaker if he had been kind of seemed to not be so actively trying to kill yeah uh, kill him so it's but it's just it is weird it was one of those things that kind of struck me.
0: Uh, this time. But how, how much, how well does that sequence at the end tie back to Luke's vision in the cave? Are you able to tie those things together? Like clearly Luke is having a draw, some sort of a draw to, you know, as, as Yoda would put it, you know, to the dark side and, and Luke sees himself, but he sees himself in Darth Vader. Obviously that's a, that's a foreshadow and a, a, you know, astute viewers might see. Um, or might, might be able to peg, oh, I wonder if he's related to Darth Vader in some way, shape, or form. You know, if he sees himself <laughs> as the one true heir to the helmet or something like that. Like, you know, so many, you know, gifts of hindsight. Uh, but is there an intentional sort of connection scripted between those two things? That Luke would see himself in Vader and then Vader would come clean and say, I see myself in you, effectively. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. You know, these were things that obviously Lucas had in mind the whole time. And um, uh, yeah, and, and, but yeah, we should talk a little bit about the fact that Irvin Kirshner did come in and direct. This was at this point where Lucas uh, really was wanting to focus on special effects. And so as he started figuring out how to build industrial light and magic, uh, he brought in a bunch of different directors. He had a whole bunch of different people that he was considering, but Irvin Kirshner is the one that he, uh, is an old, old friend of his and, and brought him in to do it. Kirshner was a little reluctant because, um, you know, Star was was such a huge success. He didn't want one of his friends saying it's your fault if it had failed, but, um, but he did it anyway. And, you know, I, I really enjoy what he brought. And I always wonder, as I look at this, am I, what am I seeing? That's kind of a Kirshner, Thing, What am I seeing that's Lucas? What am I seeing that's um, Lee Brackett or Lawrence Kasdan? Like, I, I feel like this whole thing ends up feeling very cohesive in, in the kind of the, the context of Star Wars. And I I can't tell. Like, I, I, I guess I would say I just kind of attribute so much of it t- to Lucas. But I don't know if that's uh, fair based on what I know about what he did with the, the prequel trilogy, which he really controlled.
0: Yeah, right. It it's hard. I this one feels even all the things that I find, you know, comically easy to critique, uh, it, it does feel the most sort of coherent of all of them as a family drama. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Uh I you know, I what is your do you have a favorite, other favorite Kirshner film? I what have I seen of Kirshner's not much, I know. Um I haven't seen like his early stuff and the Corman stuff, the stakeout on Dope Street, I haven't seen um I've only seen uh, the
1: eyes of Laura Mars as another film that he actually directed. Um
0: I never actually saw Robocop a, two.
2: Uh, that is, which is that has funny. got
0: to be a lie, Andy. That has got to be a lie. You have never seen Never Say Never Again? I've never seen Never Say Never Again. I, I don't know what to say to that. It's it was it wasn't a james bond movie
1: so i just kind of skipped it I oh my god
0: you pretentious <laughs> ass no, what it, are it, you talking about it wasn't
1: even that it's just like it was like <laughs> i wasn't watching james bond movies by the time it came out I, I i didn't really start watching james bond until um a view to a kill and so then by the time that i watched the james bond movies i just kind of looked at the list and I watched the james bond movies and i just never ended up watching this one it's
0: just you, know, you miss <laughs> these things sometimes i've never seen it it, it would be it would be ridiculous for you to go back and watch it, but the fact that Klaus Maria Brandauer uh, is plays such a fantastic Largo and Maximon Sidow and I mean all of the people are in it that I, you I, like. I,
1: I will Fatima watch it. Blush. I, I will watch it. Don't you worry. Oh,
0: God.
1: Yeah. So so to that end, having only seen the Eyes of Laura Mars, which was fine. I enjoyed that yeah. film. Uh, I think it was it was fun. Uh, uh, Faye Dunaway and and Tommy Lee Jones. But, uh, yeah, so I, I can't speak to... I mean, I've heard of a lot of the films that he's directed, but I just haven't seen it.
0: You know, I actually regret that I can tell you that I have seen most of Sequest 2032, which he uh, he directed one episode of. Uh, that wasn't great, but I watched it. Dolphin. <laughs> um, but I, I think it, it, it's probably this, but because I've seen Never Say Never. Probably probably i like that's probably (laughs) this i like blofeld so much and they're on a great yacht not
1: quite sure i'm not quite sure but probably
0: i'd rather kiss a wookie
1: all right well we should we'll be right back but first our credits
0: Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Marco Martini, Oriole Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for this show. How'd it do an award season, Andy? Uh, you know, it did well, but
1: I think that it suffered a little bit of kind of the sequel status of it. Um, it had 25 wins with 20 other nominations. A lot of awards for technical categories. At the Oscars, it won for Best Sound. It got a Special Achievement Award for visual effects. It lost Best Art Direction Set Decoration to Tess. And best music or original score to fame. Um, I've seen Tess. I mean, it's a period piece. I would absolutely have given it to this. I was, I was blown away by the production design in this film. Cannot believe that it would have lost. I can't speak to fame. Did you ever see Alan Parker's uh, film? Yeah, but I wouldn't be able to make any sort of compares. I've seen it once and it didn't, didn't take I definitely want to check it out because I I do enjoy Alan Parker. I just am surprised that John Williams would lose. I I don't know if this was at a point where people... Uh, we're giving as many awards to some of these kind of um, genre sort of projects. Although at the BAFTAs, John Williams did win Best Score. In that case, the art, art Direction Set Decoration lost to the Elephant Man and Best Sound lost to fame. At the Saturn Awards, we love the uh, uh, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. It won Best Science Fiction Film, Best Director, Best Actor, Mark Hamill, Best Special Effects. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Billy D. Williams, who lost to Scatman Crothers in The Shining. Oh. Best Writing lost to The Ninth Configuration by William Peter gladi best music lost to somewhere in time and best costumes lost to somewhere in time i do enjoy somewhere in time uh john berry's score is great still this would have won for me and again i just have to bring this up the wga awards again best comedy adapted from another medium but lost to airplane (laughs) and just speaking of john williams i just have to throw this in there john williams does have awards for his score for this film from later years for various things like Best re-recording, blah, blah, blah. But he only won two at the time for his work on this film. Well, he won three because he won the uh, BAFTA. He won a Grammy for Best Album of Original Score Written for Motion Picture or Television Special. And he won a, be- a Grammy for Best Instrumental Composition. Um, he was nominated for another Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Performance for Yoda's
0: Theme, but uh, didn't win that one um so that's another like the cantina theme disco yeah, where it's like have right. you seen yoda's theme i pop have not instrumental i have not i will have to look for it and throw in the show notes if we can track it down wow okay well how to do at the uh how to do at the box office
1: Oh, you know, for Lucas's follow-up to his bonker's success of his first film, uh, even with Kirschner at the helm, they had a budget of 30 and a half million. That ends up being about 94.8 million in today's dollars, which is almost double what they had to work with on the first film. Empire opened May 21st, 1980, the same week as Carney, Die Laughing, the Gong Show movie, that's right, there was a movie, and The Shining. Quite a lineup. We have talked about the success of this movie in the past, likely in our Blues Brothers member bonus, as well as in our 9 to 5 episode, because they all ended up in the top 10 domestic box office grosses for the year. This film not only ended up in the number one on that chart, but with the gross that more than doubled the film in the number two spot, which was 9 to 5 crazy how successful this film was. It ended up earning $292.7 million domestically in its lifetime and $257.3 million internationally in its lifetime for a total gross of $1.7 billion in today's dollars. That means it earned back more than 18 times its budget, landing with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $13 million. Still, on our chart of the movies we've discussed, that puts it in sixth place for the APPFMs behind Gone with the Wind, Star Wars, The Exorcist, E.T., and Jaws
0: wow well uh it's in good company uh love this movie makes me rethink my rating for the other one but um,
1: (laughs) but it shouldn't there's no reason you can't have two five-star films and still love them both even if you say one is better
0: i think i've decided that i need only one five-star film in my life period (laughs) good luck with that is that this movie is that this movie? Hmm. What else I don't know. could
1: it be? The Godfather or Blade Runner or where? Where are you going to go with this? It could this? be or something more recent.
0: Everything, everywhere, all at once.
1: I, right? I I stand that you can. You only need to have five films rated on Letterboxd at a time, and they have to be legitimately one, two, three, four, or five stars,
0: and that's all you get to rank. And then any. So what happens if a new three star comes in? No, the old there will, three star there, drops. No, no, no. You you
1: can never have another three star. What happens is when you watch another film, then you remove the fifth, uh, the, the one that you watched the longest ago, and that's gone. And now you only are ranking. You're always basically having a list of only the five most recent films that you watched.
0: That is a really interesting way to do letterboxed. <laughs>
1: you're putting yourself into
0: this you've, position by,
1: by having really, a conundrum really got me thinking. about not being able to rate Star Wars five stars because Empire is five stars. Yeah, you've
0: really got me thinking. Thank you. It's all it's all your fault. It's all your fault. I appreciate your introspective approach to my conundrum. Okay. Uh, I love the movie. That's all I have to say about that. More Yetis. <laughs> all right, we'll be right back for our official
1: Letterboxd ratings. But first, here is the trailer for next week's movie, the conclusion
2: of this trilogy, Return of the Jedi. Return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. The next chapter in the continuing Star Wars saga. The battle for freedom rages on. The heart of a hero, the courage of a rebel, the strength of a leader, the loyalty of comrades. The power of the Force. The cunning of the enemy. A destiny revealed. Is Darth Vader my father? A legend fulfilled. An epic of heroes, villains, and aliens from a thousand worlds. Ain't your crap The quest continues The circle closes The saga lives on Return of the Jedi Begins May 25th at a theater in your galaxy Uh, Okay, we're back, Andy It's time
1: for Letterboxd Yes, it is. Over at Letterboxd, if you want to get your own pro or patron membership, remember at Letterboxd you can use the discount code next or just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxed and you'll get twenty percent off of your membership. Uh
0: okay. What are you what are you doing? It's five stars. Five stars on a heart. That's like I see I, I, you've I, already filled mine in. Yeah, I see because that you were so it, presumptuous. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am very I presumptuous. mean you're right. <laughs> You're right. It's five stars in the heart. So it is what it is. Love the movie. Um and uh, I'm glad it exists. (laughs) (laughs) It is a fantastic
1: one. It is just fantastic. So anyway, remember, go to the nextreel.com slash the
0: letterbox to get your patron or pro membership. It does work for renewals as well. Uh that's it. We are we're done. We're almost done talking about Star Wars, and then we get to move on to our next major franchise. I'm so, so excited about this year. You are uh you're just like
1: jumping so far ahead. We can we just enjoy the moment. We are here with Empire. It's a great film. I am so happy to have revisited it. And I loved watching the Harmies. Uh which you know this film I don't think ended up having nearly as many changes. Um at oh, least it didn't Cloud have city son. Well, no, I mean it didn't have like added scenes. Like Star Wars had yeah. the whole Jabba scene. It had the you know Greedo yeah. shooting first. It had scenes that had been added back in that Lucas had removed this I don't recall having any additional stuff so it was just it was just watching the old
0: effects and that was a sheer joy sheer joy did you did you find yourself in cloud city at any point wondering like in I my life, have I found are... myself in Cloud City? No, 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 no. You, 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 shut <laughs> up! Did you find yourself wondering? I wonder what kinds of ships are flying around outside those frosted windows. I love those cl- those twin pod cloud
1: cars. Yeah, I could I could use that was more a, that twin was a toy cloud. I wanted. I, my sister, yeah, I never is the one who one. got that one. I was not none too pleased that she's the one at who least, got that one. At least
0: you had a twin pod cloud car in your family. I I never had a vehicle. I had like a a, a speeder bike. I think is what I had. Andy, I'm going to have to show and tell next week. I have, I actually, oh, I can't believe, you never had a vehicle?
1: I was, we, it was, they were expensive things. So I got figures and that was now, about it.
0: when you say that, it makes me sound awful. I, I'm, I, I had vehicles. Those are my favorite things That's, in the world. Shut up. I, no, it,
1: it's great. <laughs> I was always over at my friend's house playing with their vehicles because they had plenty of them. I love them and yeah. great.
0: Oh, I can't wait for show and tell next week. All right.
1: So, what did you think about Empire Strikes Back? We would love to hear your thoughts. Hop into the Show Talk channel in our Discord community where we will be talking this week about the movie. Share pics of your vehicles when the movie ends. (laughs) Our conversation begins.
0: Letterboxd give it, Andrew? As Letterbox always do it. Okay, I'm gonna go first and then you can go. Okay. Because I we didn't talk about this enough, even though we did talk about it. Uh, this is a uh, five-star movie or five-star review from Austin Gorsky, who says, Me, I love you. The Empire Strikes Back. I know. And then immediately followed up by Sophie's four and a half star review that says, Leia, I love you. Han, I know. My mom, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> okay what do you have
1: i have i have a half star by dbdbdb who has become one of my new favorites to look out for this who just D-B-D-B-D-B-D-B. has this to say how do people like this it's depressing
0: <laughs> <laughs> outstanding oh thanks letterboxd